0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Extras. Lachlan here, joined this week by Raj.
1: G'day, Lachlan. G'day, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.
0: We have been exploring the book of Hebrews for the last 8, nine, ten weeks. Uh, it's been a fantastic journey as we have been encouraged to hold fast to Jesus. Week in, week out in the series, but also week in, week out in our lives until our dying day. We're drawing towards the end of the book of Hebrews, Raj, where do we land on Sunday?
1: Sunday, um, I really love Hebrews chapter 12, so there's still Hebrews 13 to come, in a sense which is rounding things out a bit, which we'll come to in a few weeks. But Hebrews chapter 12, it just is this extraordinary high point um, which is talking to us about Mount Zion. So in a sense, you know, the method of Hebrews, it intersperses warnings and encouragements, uh, part of the encouragement is to look back to what Jesus has done, the superior Jesus, the one through whom God now speaks. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 is is the clearest in Hebrews and the strongest in Hebrews, where it's saying, um, uh, because of Jesus, we can look to Mount Zion, mm. which is both something we that happens now as we meet together, but also something in the future.
0: Wonderful. Lots of questions about Mount Zion. We'll get to those in a moment. Uh, but the first question came up from verse 15, kind of the, one of the instructions from this section of Hebrews. It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now, someone's heard that language of falling short and they've asked, OK, if we don't have Christian community, if we're not holding fast, then we might fall short of the grace of God. But don't we fall short anyway? Isn't that what makes it grace?
1: Yeah, excellent question. Um, uh, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity to speak to this because um, it's true. You know, the default state, as we see all through the Bible, uh, Romans 1, for example, particularly strong, but also through Hebrews, um, it is because of Jesus that we're saved. Without Jesus, we need saving. That is, we need God's grace. Mm. Um, so don't we fall short anyway? Absolutely, that's our default state. The challenge here in Hebrews is, and we've seen it all through, don't drift from the Lord Jesus. Um, Consider all that you possibly can do. Hebrews chapter 2, first few verses. Um, Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, Hebrews chapter 3, chapter 4. Make every effort to enter God's rest. There is a continual encouragement for us to cling to Christ, which means we experience the blessings of the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and and salvation. So in no small part, that's the whole agenda of Hebrews. This is what Christ has done to rescue us. Um, let us make sure we stand firm and don't drift so that we experience that. So, so we have grace because Jesus, he's the mediator. We have grace because Jesus, he is the priest in the order of Melchizedek, the one who lives forever. And um, um, that is the grace we're encouraged to in a sense, take hold of and cling to.
0: Because mm. there will be, I guess, a fuller experience of that grace in the future. Yeah, That's where we might fall short.
1: Yeah, which is what Hebrews 12 then goes on and talks mm. about. Yeah.
0: So you mentioned before it picks up this language of Mount Zion. Let me read those verses from verse 22. The author says, You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Wonderful verses. It just warms my heart as I read those. are very encouraging. Uh, but it's raised a bunch of questions for people. I'll just whiz through all the disparate questions that came up But we can answer them together, I think. Uh, So in what sense are we now gathered at Mount Zion? We're physically gathered at church. What about when we're not at church? Are we gathered then? Are we currently gathered at Mount Zion? Are we gathered in the heavenly realms? What does that mean? Is Mount Zion metaphorical for heaven or the church? If it's something that we've already reached now, then why are we longing for Mount Zion? Is Mount Zion now and in the future? Yeah. There we go. What's Mount Zion?
1: <laughs> where is it? When is it? Uh, what a great set of questions, and thank you for pulling it together in that way, Lachlan. Um, I think maybe where I'll w- w- let me go to the text first. Mm-hmm. Um, so, verse twenty-two, and you've read from verse twenty-two to verse twenty-four. First thing here to notice is the language and the tense. You have come to Mount mm-hmm. Zion. And that is the tense all the way through. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels. Then you have come to God. Then you have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And So it is something, um, there's an emphasis on the text here. That is all in contrast to Mount Sinai, which is verses 18 through to 21. Um, and the point is, we have not come to something that, that was symbolised by terror, by fear, um, we have come to this glorious city, mm. this inspirational place. Someone, something that has been governed by the blood of Jesus. Um, we had been told back in Hebrews chapter ten, um, from verse eighteen—not uh, from verse eighteen, slightly before that. No, yes, from verse from verse nineteen through to. Um twenty five and so on so first Hebrews chapter ten, verse nineteen. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus uh, by a new and living. So there's all of his language all through Hebrews that wants us to have confidence um, that we have already received the blessings of what it means to experience the grace of God. And so sometimes, and many of us would know it, you know, it's for now, but not yet. Mm. So that concept, that language, isn't directly here in Hebrews twelve, but the concept certainly is. We have now experienced the full blessings of what it means to have Jesus as our as our mediator once for all. Mm. We had that chapter um, nine, I think, it was all about the blood of Jesus, um, um, and at the same time, there is still some future experience of the blessing to come which mm. is why Hebrews are saying to us pleading with us to hang on not to drift um, and so on so there's the textual kind of framework and the Hebrews mm. framework mm. that I'm now going to try to use I'm interested in your comment in a moment Lachlan, but let me just keep going for now I might actually start with the last question is Mount Zion now and also in the future? Yes mm. that's the way it's painted for us yeah. here um, it is a both thing. And I, I just think this is a glorious thing that we don't fully appreciate. Mm. We keep, um, and I think this is our, I get it, it's the logical world, it's the modern world, how does it work?
0: Mm. It's the material
1: mm. world. We see what, we believe what we see, but not what we don't see. Mm. Um, we don't fully appreciate what's happening in the spiritual world dimension. Yeah. And other parts of the Bible they push us in the same way. Um what comes to my mind the last part of Hebrews, Hebrews six, sorry not Hebrews. Um, um where am I thinking? Ephesians six verses ten through to twenty four. The the reality the of the spiritual warfare, yeah. the battle that's going on. We don't appreciate that in the same way. So here Hebrews it's picking up on that same concept of the reality of what's happening in the heavenly realms. And that's happening right now.
0: Yeah, earlier in Ephesians, uh, that was coming to mind when you were talking about the now and the not yet. I mean, Ephesians one would say we are now seated in the heavenlies with Christ.
1: Yeah, uh, Colossians three, you know, same kind of thing. Yes, yeah. it's, it's set your heart on things above, which is a reality now. Yeah. Um, so, so the New Testament has this going all throughout. I think it's our modern and postmodern world. That means we have. Been raised in ways that our minds don't go there, mm. at least in the Western world. But of course, those who have had exposure to areas of parts of the world that are not the Western world, it's quite different. They seem to have a great awareness of. Mm. They would call it spirituality, or mm. anyone. Anyway. yeah. So, let me just push into some of these questions. Um, um, there was a term here that talks about, you know, are we gathered when we are not at church? So I've just put a few questions together. And really one of the things I tried to do, and I appreciate there were different, you know, sermons, and I heard Peter's sermon, was a great sermon. We we did in this occasion just cover some slightly different things. Mm-hmm. We didn't say anything contradictory, mm-hmm. we were t- preaching the same passage. But I did focus a little bit more on this, this gathering um, and ecclesi- ecclesiology, as it's called. It's called ecclesiology, which is theology of church, mm-hmm. coming from the word ecclesia, which is um, the word used in the New Testament. It's a Greek term, ecclesia, which means gathering. Um, so to say, are we gathered when we're not at church? It's kind of, it's a mixing of the terms. Here in Hebrews twelve, it's using that gathering term. Um, when it it talks about the church of the firstborn, verse 23, it's using that term. And it's painting the whole thing in a contrast to the gathering, one of the most famous gatherings of God's people that happened in the Old Testament, Mm. that around Mount Sinai. Mm. Um, Now, Hebrew is different, so the word Eccles is a different word, but it's picking up on exactly the same thing. Um, And and the way I think of it is, my understanding and research on this, which I've done a lot of in the past, is... um, it is easy to collapse the terms people of God and church, mm. but they're different terms. Mm. So so someone who belongs to Christ is always a person of God, a child of God, but the church exists when the church is gathered. Mm. Um, it's just worth sitting with that distinction for a moment. It is a significant distinction. Yeah. And here in Hebrews chapter 12, it's picking up on the gathering of God's people. And it's taking us back into the Old Testament, Mount Sinai, when that was really the epitome of a gathering of mm, God's people, mm. as they were being rescued from being slaves in Egypt on the way to a promised land. And it's making a parallel between that between that and the gathering of God's people today. Back then it was characterized by fear, by trembling. Um, by not being able to come close to God, not able to touch the mountain because God was holy and we're not holy. And the contrast then from verses 22 to 25, 24, um, it's just an extraordinary difference. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. So the basis is quite different. Mm. The gathering is the same, the basis is quite different. Um, So that's the sense in which we're gathered now. And I think what it does, it it elevates our understanding of church gatherings. Mm -hmm. It is not just an accidental random collection of the people of God who happen to turn up on a particular day. There is actually a stronger thing going on um, in the local church gathering. Um, now, I've rambled on a fair bit around these questions, Lachlan. Let's let's talk about it. What do you want to pursue? Do you want to add? Well, I think I just want to...
0: Uh, don't want to add anything there. I, I think it sounds like uh, we could have a good stretch night on ecclesiology at some point and thinking <laughs> deeply about the nature of church. It's a great area that is important to think well about and get some clarity on. So we might keep an eye on the calendar for uh, a place that we might do that in the future. Uh But maybe if I could just press for clarity on one of these questions. So is Mount Zion metaphorical for a heavenly reality or metaphorical for a local church gathering or both?
1: Thank you. I think I would say both. Um, um, Now, what I'm doing there, I'm approaching that theologically. Mm. Here in Hebrews 12, I think the emphasis is on... um, the God's people gathered in Mount Zion, uh, but other parts of the Bible take that same image of Mount Zion and apply it in different ways. So, yeah, so on on that particular question, thank you for pushing me on it. I I think I would say Mount Zion, for the Bible, it it does a bit of both. But here in Hebrews 12, it is trying to focus us, Mm. our attention on just the significance of God's people. Gathered.
0: okay that's great uh one last question then raj so part of this contrast of mount sinai the old testament gathering and mount zion this new gathering uh sinai was a place of terror and fear zion is characterized as a joyful place so what what's going wrong if in our christian life we experience more terror than joy in our
1: relationship yeah, with God. What a great question. Um, is it okay if I just change that question slightly? Sure. That is, I don't necessarily want to say someone's doing something wrong mm. if that's where their heart is. Yeah. But I think I do want to pick up on the essence that's going on here and, and maybe just change it around slightly. If someone does find themselves in that place, what might be helpful to do? Mm. And I think we're almost at the end of Hebrews now. One suggestion would be, why not reread Hebrews? And um, as you're doing so, think about the place and the difference Jesus makes to our confidence.
0: Mm. Um,
1: the, the central thing happening here in Hebrews 12, in that contrast, so verses 18 to 21, is talking about the physical mountain around Mount Sinai, and then 22 to 24 but is talking about Mount Zion. And it it seems to me the central difference is the place of Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So the blood of Abel is taking us back into the story of Cain and Abel, back into deeply, you know, early chapters of Genesis, where um, um, blood in the old covenant, it did symbolise something, a repetition thing. We're going to be talking about this over Easter as well. Um, But Jesus, the once for all sacrifice. So Hebrews chapter 9, that chapter in blood, one of the places in the Bible that has more references to blood than any other. Um, I think some of the stats I provided weren't quite right when I preached that Hebrews 9 a couple of weeks ago, but the overall point certainly is right. That Hebrews chapter 9 has more references to blood than any other chapter in the Mm. New Testament, um, and it's right up there even when it comes to the Old Testament. Mm. So that's the difference the blood of Jesus makes Mm. once for all. Mm. And I just think, in fact, this Easter time is a beautiful time to think about this. Um, um, Really what I'm saying, what do you do? I've changed the question around slightly. Don't think of it in terms of doing something wrong. What can you do to have more joy Mm. and more Mm. confidence? Mm. Because that's what Hebrews wants us to have, assurance. Yeah. And, and I would just say, reflect back on the cross and the blood of Jesus. Yeah. He yeah. is the one who's the new covenant. He is a priest that we now have in the order of Melchizedek. He is always ready to intercede mm. for us. Mm. Um, um, that flows into the exhortations of Hebrews, not to drift, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. They're the things I would yeah. go back and... Yeah. What would you say?
0: Oh, th- much the same. I... Brings to mind Isaiah's experience when he meets the Lord enthroned in his temple, and he falls flat on his face and says, "Woe is me! Uh, I'm a sinner." There's the terror that is appropriate in when we're confronted with God in His Majesty, and yet then He gets offered cleansing and forgiveness, uh, and that enables him to kind of stand in the presence of God. Uh, for us, that cleansing comes in Christ so it's not that we change our view of God and domesticate him in some way he is fearsome he is a consuming fire and we need to cling to that right uh, appreciation of God's majesty but as you say we, we can be safe in his presence because of Christ and so hopefully the fear leads to a greater joy once there's that recognition of uh, the safety that we have, and that this fearsome God is on our side and is for us. You know, Romans would pick that up. If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, this is the one who is now yeah, not against us, but for us in Christ, which is yeah. so comforting and such cause for joy.
1: It certainly is. It brings us to Easter, really, doesn't
0: it? Yeah. It's a great weekend to reflect and be thankful for all of that and, and to put into practice what Hebrews encourage us in verse 28 of chapter 12, let us be thankful because we are receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken. Yeah. So Raj, thanks for your time. Uh, it's been great to press into Hebrews across these past weeks. As you say, we'll be coming to chapter 13 after Easter. But This weekend we'll be getting together to celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ and remind ourselves of those old truths that continue to shape life today. So we'll see you At Easter,
1: yeah, I I I don't want to encourage people. Easter is a special time, slower time. The way we've structured it is both to on Thursday and also Friday. um, We want it to be a time where believers, in particular, uh, have a time for reflection on what Christ has done. um, And on Sunday, we just want to encourage people. It's not too late to invite someone to come along. Um, North Rocks and also Carlingford in the morning are having. Easter buns and a whole bunch of different things and more foxes and petting zoo and different things. And, um, let's make a thing of it. Invite people in lots of people searching for the market.
0: Mm. Sounds good. Thanks. We'll see you then.